이청수 이영표에게 문전으로 올리기로 그렇죠. 올린다. 안정환 헤딩 골! 이 is 2002. Ang Jong Wan and South Korea have just knocked Italy out of the World Cup. And while Gus Hiddink fist pumps in Taiwan, in Italy, a man who looks like he's fresh from a Benny Hill chase sequence makes an announcement. Ang's goal, he says, was an offence to the country which two years ago had openly welcomed him, taught him football, and as a result, he'd be firing the Korean from his club Perugia. It wasn't, they hadn't, and of course he didn't. But the world had finally met a man Italy had been marvelling at for years, big Luciano Gauci. It's a big hello to Gabriele Marcotti. Hello. And James Horncastle. Good day. Later on, we're going to be talking to you about the big games this weekend, because there are some in Serie A, and also... All the exciting things that happened last weekend, less about the midweek round because it hasn't happened yet. But I want to begin with the extraordinary man, a man you can hear right now roundly telling another club owner to take it up the arse. A man who dined at the White House, a man who hired a Gaddafi, a man who gave a referee a racehorse. Oops. Who generally, Gabriele, makes Massimo Cellino look like who? Daniel Levy? Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely, it's absolutely extraordinary when, and whenever I tell myself, oh my God, why do we have these like horrendous, you know, Ferrero characters like this? And then I think to myself, wow, like back in the day, we had Gauci. I think if you were to make like a Frankenstein's monster <laughs> of bad owners, where you put a bit of Campidelli here, a bit of Ferrero, a bit of Zamperini, a bit of Cellino, a bit of Girardi, the monster would resemble Luciano Gaucci. I mean, there's so many things. We'll, we'll go through our favourite Gaucci stories. There are legion. But his rise, first of all, is really intriguing. He's a former bus driver who starts a cleaning company, calls it La Milanese because he thinks people are going to think it's more efficient if it's from Milan. Because <laughs> yeah. he was based in Rome. Because he was yeah. based in Rome. <laughs> and then, basically, at some point, becomes best friends, in his words, with probably the most important best friend to have in early 90s Italy, and that's Giulio Andreotti. Yeah, and again, for those who don't know, Giulio Andreotti was this... (laughs) (laughs) A man who had numerous trials for association... He had, yeah, he had numerous trials for dubious uh, associations. He's he's passed now. But it's a figure that maybe could have really only existed at its height in Italy because he's somebody who's very big on being the power broker behind the scenes. You know, the guy who ultimately would bring people together and get things done in sort of a you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours mm. type way. Uh, this is bizarre, ultra-Catholic figure who sort of uh, heard mass every day. And then, but also was on trial repeatedly for being a, 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 essentially the mafia's representative in government. You should watch Il, Il Divo, Il Divo. Yeah. Sorrentino's film, which is a character study of, of Andreotti. He, he, would, he would disagree with it, but I think certainly that's the way a lot of people saw him. How he and Gaucci became friends, possibly bonded by a mutual love of Roma, I'm not sure. That, that's one of the mysteries, but certainly Andreotti does seem to have unlocked the doors of finance to Gaucci, who essentially amasses enough money through his cleaning company to buy a football club. And a horse. Let's not forget the oh, horse, the horse the Tony horse. Bin. Right. He made a ton of money off the horse. Though. Exactly, that's, yeah. That's the thing. I mean, he, 
he the, 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 this horse Tony Bin it wins the Arc de Triomphe. Yeah, he made an absolute killing off this, and from what I'm told, he wasn't a great expert on horses. No. It was he, just sheer dumb luck. Yeah, he bumped into a guy in the street, struck up a chat, and he was like, "This guy was dealing in horses." He was like, oh, "I'll I'll take a punt on that." Right, and ends up man was dealing <laughs> horse in the street. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Incidentally, Ancelotti just bought a horse called uh, Black Mirror. For okay. About 75 grand, yeah. So. Nice. You're listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. Gaucci with Tony Bin and the money he makes from the sale of this horse once it's won the Arc de Triomphe and all sorts of other things becomes significantly rich, lives in a castle, and buys Perugia. And this is where the fun begins, and this is where his relevance to our story really begins. 1991 to 1999, he goes through 15 managers, among them such greats as uh, Giovanni Gaglione, Cersei Cosme, of course, Nevio Scala was there. Gaglione ended up in hospital because of Gaucci. <laughs> in that, I think he had a heart attack, and one of uh, Gaucci's former managers, Falta Novellino, went to see him and came out, gave a kind of brief press conference saying that Gaglione was in there because of stress caused by working under Gaucci. Managers lived in kind of fear of him or just was like, this guy's a complete and utter joke. And players, uh, again, were just like always being sent into Retiro, so like right. a punitive training camp where they couldn't leave the training ground just because of the whims of Gaucci. And one of his kids was a boxer, of course, and mm. the other one was a fool. <laughs> one of them was just... So, so Ricardo and Alessandro, who yeah. were part of the whole collapse of Perugia, but did time for it while Gaucci basically went to live in Santo Domingo yes. and only returned four years later once he'd received a pardon. Like, like nothing was ever straightforward with Perugia. If you remember, was it 97, 98? They were in the second division, were in Serie B, and they got to a playoff against Torino with... Our friend Tony Dorigo ended up uh, missing a penalty, if I recall. Is that right? Yeah, I think you're right, yeah. Um, and so what happens with the Gauchi team? Naturally, there's like a massive, massive brawl in the dressing rooms, which, you know, again, in those situations, you don't quite know who started it, who didn't start it. But from that point onwards, Gauchi, even after they told them, I'm like, okay, no more talking about this as an investigation. On a daily basis, he and three or four of his friends in the media were continuously accusing Torino of all sorts of things, thereby possibly prejudicing the, the outcome. Well, you know, it's really, it, it, we should talk to Tony Dorigo sometime about that game because he's got some very interesting memories oh, yeah. not entirely unconnected with uh, Gauchi's suggestions there. It, it was possibly because of dumb luck or possibly because of some skilled people that he hired. It was actually a spectacularly entertaining uh, club, Perugia, for most of its time in City. I had a very eclectic roll call of players, Marco Matarazzi, Gennaro Gattuso, Massimiliano Allegri was there as well. Yeah. Fabio uh, Grosso as Fabio well. Grosso. Yeah, and I should say too, like, while we'll be spending much of this podcast mocking Gaucci, and while Gaucci would probably take credit for it, even though he probably shouldn't, mm -hmm. the number of players that they signed from lower division clubs mm. or obscurity, who then turned out to be very good players. Obviously, Hidetoshi Nakata, when like people uh, thought, oh, no Japanese guy could ever make it in, in Europe. And then, you know, he became a real phenomenon to Milan Rapaic. You know, you mentioned, you mentioned Materazzi there. 
Materazzi was was finished in at a very young age in football, you know, and they totally relaunched them. Then he went on to win the Champions League and the World Cup, of course. For some reason, they got all these guys in, and when they they came to Perugia, they performed exceptionally well. Some of them went on to to, to great things elsewhere, others less so. Mm. But it was this amazing sort of miracle that kind of renewed itself every year, where mm. you'd get these waifs and strays in. And the club, which had been down in what was it, Serie C, when when he picked them up. Yeah, and didn't they get promoted from Serie C in ninety two, ninety three, <laughs> only to have it revoked because <laughs> because uh, the referee's brother might have been given a horse. No, I think it was the referee himself. Yeah, well, had... the, initially it was like, oh, my brother bought a horse off right. him, but it, it then turned transpired that it was a gift. Right. This um, this to... official had been in charge of two. Perugia matches in their promotion campaign. And what was the ref called? Something like Sen- uh, Senzacqua, I think. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> but Bellalina. But they were, you know, they eventually did get up. They had famous victories there at the Renato Curi and they they even won the Intertoto Cup, mm, most prestigiously of all. And and got into the UEFA Cup, I think got three rounds into the yeah. UEFA Cup. I interviewed Cesar Cosme about five years ago uh-huh. about his time at Perugia and he was saying that after like a big win Gauchi would give him like a massive truffle. You know, those huge truffles that like you find. The, in, yeah, the ones that pigs find. Yeah, which, right. which w- would be worth like tens and tens of thousands of euros, which was so big. He, he told me that he put it in the back of his car and the suspension of the car just went like, wow. like that. But yeah, Cosme, part-time DJ, part-time coach these days. Cesar Cosme, again, for those who don't know, is a man who I believe you once shared a pizza with. That's true. Um, he's this absurd horrendous gravelly voice he's this weirdo who was so self-conscious he had a bit of the tony pulis about him and since he'd always wear that always stupid hat cap, yeah. he'd always because mm. he was follically challenged right um well, pulis occasionally takes the hat off mm-hmm. i don't know that caused me yeah he's uh, got a collection of thousands it <laughs> caused yeah. me ever did he got into serious trouble one year when he was a guest on some on some tv program and sort of off air with a hot mic he started just just talking about how like this was rigged and that was rigged and I mean I, well, I did this character I don't understand what, what, what the hell like yeah it's I, grotesque I mean two threads to pull on this like Cosme also is famous for showing his players porn essentially uh, on on on, the, on nights away from home in the hotel taking them to strip clubs as well. And the, the the other thread is is Gauchi, of course, for all his sins, blew the lid off the GS the the GAS mm. scandal, you know, with all the agents and you know how basically everyone was Mikoli, controlled yeah. by. We yeah, we should mention right. the legendary Mikoli, the man with a with a giant Che Guevara tattoo. They also famously beat Juventus and cost them a, a title. Yeah, last game of the season, they have nothing to play for. It's one of those games where, like, you know. People like to bet on football. I kind of have a joke like, ha, ha, ha. Like, I'm sure they'll pull up a fight. Um, And Juventus needed a draw. And there's a universal downpour. The heavens open. You were there, James. I was there. You remember. I I like to imagine you with one of those, like, big ponchos on. We had to shut that. We were doing the Channel 4 show. We had to shut it down because the wind was just blowing in horizontally into all the equipment. (laughs) So... So Colina decides to, Pierluigi Colina happened to be the referee, and he decides to say, all right, well, let's, let's go and let's wait. Um, rather than calling off the game, he waited for, for, the, for the downpour to, uh, to abate. 
And then they play the game. And then they played. And, and, and Perugia in a kind of quagmire, basically, it wasn't really a practicable surface, but Colina played on, incurring all sorts of suspicions, and Juve lost. And Lazio, who had already wrapped their game up down in Rome... Against Regina. Yeah. ...stood waiting with their Radiolini at the ear mm. to hear what the result was from Perugia, and then found themselves... Well, champions for the first time since And Ericsson got the England job, and, yeah. you know, all because of Lu- Luciano Gauci. And then young listeners... Yeah. Um, Back then, you couldn't watch games on your phones. No, that seems so. They, well, the 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 term James has used, radioline, means little transistor radios. Do you think our listeners know what our younger listeners know what radio is? I don't know, but anyway, it's sort of like radio. It's sort of like a podcast, but you don't actually <laughs> download it from the internet. Anyway, um, but yeah, no. And the uh, the guy who scored the goal that day was a defender named Alessandro Calori. Calori, who's sort of like a big horse of a defender. His last name actually means heat, and. Three or four years later, because we're a wonderfully Catholic country and the Pope lives in our country, the biggest selling magazine in Italy by far is called Familia Cristiana, Christian Family. And <laughs> do you remember this story? So, yeah. so, so they get a letter, an anonymous letter from somebody who signs himself AC, who goes and he complains about matrixing and pressures and being forced to do things he didn't want to do. And they've never revealed who it is. They didn't even ever reveal whether they just made up those initials or whether Mm. those were his actual initials. I mean, it is called Familia Cristiana, so we assume they didn't just make the whole thing up, right? Because It's God's will. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But obviously the fact that somebody named AC then created all this, this whole sort of, remember it just went on for the whole summer and Maji complaining and Juve complaining. What did you do against your will? You scored a goal in a game. Okay, let's have our favourite Gauci stories because there's so many. You could have the suspension that he received for three years for giving the referee a racehorse, the time he tried to sign a woman to his Perugia men's team. Birgit Prince. Indeed. Not just any woman. Yeah, the, the hero best in of, the world. The, yeah. uh, of Germany's World Cup winner. She was Marta before Marta, basically. Yeah. Right. She is very beautiful and has a great figure. I can assure you that as a player, she's very good, said the progressive Luciano. You can't stop me from playing her in my men's team. There is no rules to forbid this. Right. Yeah. yeah. But it, it, she, I think, just thought, no, I don't need any of this. He did manage to sign Gaddafi's son. Yeah, so yeah. Sadi Gaddafi, he... Um, and by the way, before we all laugh at him, let's not forget that Gaddafi also went on to play for another club in Italy mm. who, uh, who loved to pretend that it never happened. Yeah. So Under Roy Hodgson. The, the whole sort of grotesque thing there, and you can draw your own conclusions about Sadi Gaddafi. I, I, two, two quick memories associated with this. One was Paolo Di Cagno at the time was, uh, was here in England, and he used to guest on, uh, on this, this uh, evening show on, I don't know if it was either Domenica Sportiva or Pressing or whatever in, on Italian television. And they had Sadi Gaddafi in the studio together with his servant. You know, they're like, they're interviewing him. He's talking about how excited he is. He's describing himself as a player. He's like, well, you know, I'm a number 10 in between Maradona and Platini and so on. <laughs> I've and, been training with Ben Johnson. <laughs> and they, they show a highlight video of this guy from the Libyan League. And the highlight video, which I think you can still find it on, 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 on YouTube somewhere, is really grotesque because it really is like, you know, him running slowly with the ball and people kind of falling out of the way and like, you know, the goalkeeper dropping it. But obviously he's a guest on the show and a lot of Italian hosts, they like to sort of suck up a little to important people. I can't imagine why. So after it, like, you know, the host like sort of applauds and says, wow, wow, we can see like, you know, like, you know, you're 
you're not just an important leader. You're, 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 you clearly have the technical skills. You know, you're going to entertain Perugia. And then Paolo pipes up from, from the safety of London. I, I need to, uh, I, I need to make clear. And he's like, come on. What do you guys say? Look at those people. Like, he's like, he calls, he's like, sono birilli, meaning like they're, uh, uh they're <laughs> like, uh, bowling. Yeah, like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're, they're bowling fans. He's like, come on, all these guys, like, come on, come on, Sadi, man. If they hadn't let you score, like, you know, you would have cut off their heads or maybe they're, and then all of a sudden, like the, the connection, goes down. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, he was though, a, I think a, a shareholder power, in Juventus, wasn't power. he? He had uh, the, well, Tam Oil. Mm. This, the, was it the State Oil Company? No, it was Lafico, wasn't it? The Libyan Investment Fund. Okay, okay. but they they famously sponsored Juventus shirts Tam Oil, which was the yeah. Libyan oil company. That's yeah, I think they had a seven uh, percent stake in. And Ube. the only time he actually made it on the field for Perugia was in a game against. Juventus. He didn't actually, I don't think, play a minute in Syria, but still managed to get suspended for Nandrolo without having come <laughs> off the bench, which yeah. is amazing. Mm. He, so he lives, so if you've ever been to Perugia, basically the, 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 the town's like sort of perched up on this hill. I mean, it's gorgeous countryside. And there's a hotel at the top called the Hotel Brufani. And it's kind of the only sort of nice hotel in, or, you know, high-end hotel in, in, in Perugia. And he basically took over the top two floors of that hotel and he brought all his people there. And in the mornings, because like in a lot of old medieval cities, you know, there's nowhere to park. The hotel actually has an underground car park, but albeit one that is like incredibly tight. So he used to drive his Lamborghini to training together with his security detail, which is like basically two vans of armed men, one before and one behind. But sort of the road down is so tight and, and just the parking. And it, basically, every day he would ding it and then they would send it to get to, you know, to the body shop. Legend has it is that actually there were actually three Lamborghinis and sort of on a rotational basis, <laughs> they would. I mean, I don't know if this is true, but, you know, with Saudi, everything is, is plausible. I should also stress one other thing. While we laugh and joke about what a freak show this is, uh-huh. he's also a very, very bad man who did very, very bad things, you know, in his in his day job after football. So let's bear that in mind. Uh, Sadi Gaddafi. Yeah, 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 yeah for I mean, sure. Other hotel uh, Gaddafi anecdotes when he was at Udinese. Um, I can't remember. There was, oh I can't remember it was the maitre, maitre d' or, the, or the, the, the head of the hotel later told all these stories about him where they would never have any milk in the morning for cappuccinos or anything like that because uh, Lady Gaddafi liked to have a bath in, in, milk. in milk. Thank goodness it was yeah. milk. So, um, all right, well, returning to the subject then of Gaucci, uh, Sadi Gaddafi not his only uh, unusual appointment. I mean, again, progressively, he appointed, uh, I think, Italy's first woman coach, no? Carolina Maracci at yeah. uh, Viterbesi, and then fired her again kind of days later. But he, he at least had made the, the step in that direction. She's now back in coaching, working for AC Milan's oh, women's team. I spoke to her about this. And so Gauci decided, as you do back then, to go and buy a club in another division, which is something that... Well, how many clubs did he Catania? have? yeah. He was vice president of Rome at some stage. Right. He mm. had Ancona, but claimed he didn't know he had Ancona. Uh-huh. And Viterbesi. And Viterbesi. So, with Carolina Moracci, yeah. It was the weirdest thing because she was, as far as I know, she was the first woman coach to coach a men's team. Mm. Uh, since then, obviously, you had the case in France. In France two two yeah. cases in France, I think. He'd come and, like, you know, he'd give her all sorts of advice and stuff, which, but she's like, I was ready for that because it had happened before. When you coach a woman's team, you know, it's not a man or woman saying it's like, this is what Italian presidents are like. I knew that's what he was like. 
But he decided during training camp, she had the um, the fitness coach go. She realized that because she said on the first day that he didn't like him. Like he really didn't like him and it really bothered him. And it was a man, incidentally. Like, And ultimately, she lost her job because he'd come in and like basically every day he'd be like, all right, you need to fire him. He's like, why? Like, I don't like him. Like, no, 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 he's part of my team. And the next day, you need to fire him. Why? Like, I still don't like him. I hate him even more. And then eventually, he's like, either you fire him or I fire you. And she said, go ahead. She took the fool. I wow. dare you. And uh, yeah. One man, uh, Gauchi, certainly did like George Bush. He had uh, banners placed at games at, at both Perugia and Viterbesi. Uh, saying George Bush for president. And so touched was George Bush that he sent him a letter thanking him and invited him to... He had a, Gauchi went to dinner at the White House wow. with, I think, the head of the Supreme Court and Betty, who was his wife at the time. And Betty was basically a school friend of one of the sons, one of the Gauchi sons. Is this Elisabetta Gregoraci? Yeah. No, 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 no. This is... Uh, didn't he also have a thing with her before she married... Priatore. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> this is Elisabetta Tulliani. So she was, yeah, basically went to school with one of Gauchi's sons. Wait, then, Susanne, isn't that the, I'm sorry, isn't that the Gianfranco Fini? Thing? Yeah, exactly. That's the weird oh, thing. <laughs> so basically, she gets together with the dad of her school chum, and they live together in this castle. And there's an, if you can stomach it, there's an extraordinary video for Rai Tre of them going around the castle together. Uh, kind of pecking oh, each other on the cheek. pretending to, like, call her on the phone. Exactly. Like... He says, do, do, would you like to come for a little tour around the castle? So she turns up, and then they have a kiss. And he says to her, troublingly, you know, I could be your father. And she says to him, yes, I could be your daughter. <laughs> kind of pause. And he says, yeah, I, you know, luckily you're not. And then off they go. And there's various other kind of coy bits yeah. around. He became place. a dad again at 71, yeah. didn't he? And George Bush wasn't the only head of state By the way, that he just, met. Just to clarify, this is yeah. George W. Bush we're talking George about. George W. Yeah, Bush, yeah, right, yeah, okay. okay. Not, not, but, but, and, and also to clarify, then she basically leaves him, uh, leaves Gauci years later, uh, because she's fallen in love or fallen in with Gianfranco Fini, who is? Who at the time was a very prominent uh, Italian politician. Neo-fascist. He would I mean, say, MSI, he would call MSI himself, was... He called yeah. himself post-fascist. Okay, po post-fascist. <laughs> wow. Right. No, and he was sort of the acceptable face of, right. the, uh, of, and, of the right. But then they got into this whole... Then she screwed him over because yeah. she had, like, some idiot brother uh -huh. who... <laughs> who somehow... I, he so, gave one of his clubs to them to run, I think. No, I was referring to the fact they bought, like, a... They, they they bought like a closet in Monaco, oh. and they thought that he could uh, they thought he could thereby establish his residence in Monaco, okay, and avoid paying taxes. Do you remember this? No, yeah. I do know that afterwards Gauci took uh, Elisabetta Tulliani to uh, court uh, to try and recover various pictures. Uh, De Chirico is in there, and, and a lot of other things, and also an Enolotto ticket with which he'd won <laughs> two billion lira, apparently, which is what about. Two billion lira would have been about back then. It yeah, would have been about a million euro, six hundred thousand euro, six or seven hundred thousand pounds. Yeah, I mean a lot yeah. of money. Yeah, and That's I think just this just goes to show, though, by, by the way, yeah. between this yeah. and Tony Bean and the fact that I still think he hasn't served a day in prison, <laughs> he's a lucky uh, man. He's got. He really has to be the luckiest guy in the world. Yeah. Just to go back on George W. Bush, I mean, he also had dinner with uh, um, the, the, the Prime Minister of Japan at the time. Oh, really? After, after signing Nakata. Oh, okay, right. And because he was such a success. And again, one of the things that makes you think twice about Gauchi, Perugia's kit was made by a company yeah. that he owned, yeah, yeah. which then obviously they made loads of money off the back of Nakata merch. 
Um, it's just you know. Yeah, this is one of the keys that I think you know how like every time somebody signs like like a big footballer will sign for Real Madrid like oh look they've sold you know a million shirts for you know 80 pounds each that means they've already paid back yeah it doesn't work that way because the kit supplier gives you a fixed amount and then they just pay you a royalty generally Mm. but but in this case (laughs) he decided hey what was it was it Macron no Galax Galax that's it he said oh look in this case like even though I know nothing about making shirts and shirt technology, you know, all the crap, but it's like Adidas and like, oh, look, you know, there's a special wicking in the breathing. Mm. No, it's his shirts. I think we're, we're basically like knockoff T-shirts, but he made them. He stuck Nakata's name on the back and that was basically all pure profit for him. He didn't mm. need a licensing agreement because he owned the company. You're listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. So when, basically, the happy system which City uh, had been operating under of 18 teams, with promotion, relegation, etc., finally got broken in the noughties, guess who it was who, who caused all of that? <laughs> Luciano Gauci. So his, let me get this right, his Catania team in City of B had been fielding ineligible players. As a result, they end up out of City of B. So City of B is composed of the right number of teams. But then Catania launch or Gauci launches for Catania a legal recourse to this, and the city of B authorities go, well, uh, okay, you can come back in. What we'll do is bring a couple of other more clubs up with you and make it a 22-team league. Yeah. But all the other city of B owners are going, well, hang on, now we've got extra teams in the division. We don't want this. So they, so they said to them, all right, well, what we'll do is we'll, we'll stick more teams in city A, and then you have more chance of going up. So now all of a sudden, because of Luciano Gauci fielding ineligible players, city A goes from 18 to 20 teams. It's win, extraordinary. Win, win, Yeah. Everybody's happy. It's good to know that there's no way they'd mess around with the numbers of teams in a division <laughs> these days. Because, <laughs> you know, in case you're unaware, um, City of B is currently running with 19 teams, but, but day by day, we're expecting that number to change yeah. in season. 20, 21, 22, we don't know. <laughs> but one day the luck ran out and they went down and, and then went bankrupt with a, a, a big hole in their accounts of about 100 million euro, I think. And that's when the financial police investigated and... I mean, they're now back in uh, Serie B. With the manager? Uh, Alessandro Nesta. Extraordinary. And, and they got to the playoffs last year and did quite a gauchy thing. It's that they sacked the manager mm. and brought in Nesta, hoping that he could actually get them promoted. But no. Um, Nesta, who's been coaching in the NASL. Mm. Miami FC. Yeah. Mm. Uh, they're currently um, languishing in 15th place. Um, but uh, and they've had a North Korean of late as well, rather than a oh. South Korean in in um, in Juan. Yeah, yeah there's, a, there's a weird good, yeah. academy that's yeah. near Perugia, which Stemperini. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not hundred percent clear like who's behind or whatever, but they seem to bring in players from weird parts of the world. I don't yeah. Know. So when they they brought in this North Korean who turns out to be good, you know, he scored against Joe Hart playing for Cagliari against Torino. Uh, started last season scoring loads of goals and this became um, I think the subject of like a parliamentary select committee in um, the fact that a North Korean was well because where's his wages going you right. know, because North Korea were under UN sanctions right. if he's getting paid his money's going back to an account in North Korea is that money then being used to you know mm. further their nuclear <laughs> absolutely we should kind of clear up as well that that, that story we, that we started with which is probably the most famous Gauchi one of all that he fired Ahn for scoring against Italy and knocking them out of the World Cup not technically what happened because mm. he was just blustering Ahn was only at Perugia on a on a season-long contract which had already ended and had no 
particular plans to return there. Gauci yeah, was just. But this is this. This was vintage Gauci. He'd say stupid publicity-seeking uh, things. I used to um, have this weird fascination with uh, trashy Italian television back then. So I used to watch. Um, there's a famous show which I'm sure we talked about different times called the Processo di Biscardi, like yeah. the, the trial where. This is basically a bunch of people on, like, shouting, creating, um, like, sort of conspiracy theories. And Gucci was a regular on there. The number of times he would come out and he'd say, okay, I have made an irrevocable decision, but Uja is pulling out of the league as of right now. As of right now! You know? And they generate headlines for a day, and then, you know, sure enough, the next weekend they were playing, and... This is this is how we operate. He loved that. He loved sort of the, the, the attack, the, the, the circus, the zoo that was around him all the time. And I, I'm just fascinated by, A, the fact that he was so lucky with so many things, from the lottery ticket to Tony Bin, to the fact that <laughs> he just got away with it mm. over and over and over again, to the fact that, like, you know, he sent his kids to prison. Yeah. You know, like, so well, that he could escape. Did you he, interview Jay Bothroyd, Rusty? Right there? It did. I also met Luciano Gauci ah, uh, in his office in Rome, and he was he was perfectly pleasant. But there was nothing in that meeting that that made you think he was Insane. that there was anything beyond that kind of slightly paunchy, raunchy kind of, <laughs> as I say, Benny Hill esque uh, rotund figure who was kind of a blustering his way through football but clearly there is more to the man but yeah Jay Bothroyd went out there and mm. I think he had a great start to the season and things kind of fell away but it was I think he was perplexed to find himself suddenly in Perugia but rather enjoyed it it's a beautiful part of the world in Umbria and um and yeah, and then he came home again. He's had a very exciting. I think he's in Japan at the moment, Is he? Jay Bosford. Yeah, yeah. Well, good for him. He was a lovely yeah. chap. Cool. A lovely chap. Perugia went down. They are back in City of B now. Mm. They went bankrupt rather than going down. But they are back in City of B now. And it's, uh, we, you know, wish them the best with Alessandro Nesta. I don't know what uh, Alessandro and Ricardo, the sons who, who took the fall for the bankruptcy, what if they're you're listening, to guys, reach out. Reach we'll have you on the show. <laughs> yeah. But I believe the Gauchi is still with. You mentioned he's had kids with the, you know, the twenty-eight-year-old he came back from the Dominican Republic with. Mm. Presumably, she's not twenty-eight anymore. Well, I would imagine not. All right. Anyway, what an extraordinary career, Luciano Gauchi. I doubt we've heard the last of him. Round five of the City House season took place last weekend. There were so many delights. Uh, Jovino's 82-metre run. Uh, Chiesa's probably 82-metre run to greet his brother after scoring a, a brilliant third for Fiorentina. Oh, and Campanelli, Chievo losing. I know. <laughs> I know. What, what was I wanted to stay below zero the whole season. Apart, <laughs> apart, from, apart from that, what was your favourite bit of the weekend? We also had Ronaldo scoring a winner, too, yeah, among yeah. other things. And and celebrating oh, with his teammates. Bernardeschi. And celebrating yeah, but, other people's goals as well. Bernardeschi, la mette giù. Bernardeschi. 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 La chiude. 2-0 della Juve. Ronaldo's in the box. Yeah. And you say, like, all right, Bernardeschi's going to touch it to him. He was actually open, right? Yeah. And then he does it. And still, despite what all the haters say... Yeah. Yeah, you he would have expected Ronaldo to wheel away with a look of disgust on his face. No, he goes off and he celebrates yeah. and he seems genuinely happy and, mm. you know. How long will it last? I don't know. Haters going to hate, James. Simple as. But it's it's nice to see. Now, Juve are in action this evening. They're playing Bologna. Oh, that's right, Bologna. Pippo Inzaghi's who got their first goals and first win yeah. of the season against 
Roma, former Juve legend Pippo Inzaghi, who's, who's who's taking on the old lady tonight. We can't really talk too much about this game because they haven't happened yet. We can talk about their next game. We can talk about their next game, which against is against Napoli. Oh my word! So you know, depending on what happens this evening, that's first against second. Napoli can go top. Yeah, because they're three points behind. With a comprehensive victory. They were in Turin last weekend as well, weren't they, Napoli? And that went pretty well. Yeah, and uh, things beginning to come together for uh, for Carlo, who's doing some quite interesting things with this team. So 3-1 their victory at Torino, mm. uh, with two goals from uh, Insigne. Best start to the season ever. New new kind of role, playing mm-hmm. as a, a sort of second striker. Right. More central position, not asked to do kind of same sort of defensive shift that he has done in the past, so he's... But he keeps fiddling with his team, which yeah. is so like we thought like, oh, this is gonna be Zelinsky's season and then like he benches him at the weekend. He plays Marco Rog, who I think had started a game in <laughs> April like, twenty seventeen. Something yeah. absurd like that. Um Luperto as and well. it works, yeah. This guy Luperto, nobody knows who he is. Yeah. Like, you know. Maximovic, who looked to be a complete bust on the Saturday, they paid a fortune for him from Torino, sent him out on loan to spot at Moscow. He ends up in the team. I mean, he's, he's using everyone. All right. And what do you think of their prospects uh, at the Allianz Stadium then at the weekend? I think, I still think Napoli are a little bit too open to be competitive in this game. I think, yeah, obviously it holds some very good memories from their last last visit mm. here uh, with that late win. Uh, first one at the Allianz Stadium. It is a new look, Napoli. In mm. that, um, yeah, they're no longer wedded to the same system. There's more variation, I suppose, in their play. I find Napoli so difficult to read because that that first half mm-hmm. hour against Torino was brilliant, and yeah. it was with a team that I would have never, I would have never imagined. It's hard to predict because you don't know what pieces he's going to put in there. I mean, I thought with the four four two, I thought this is where we see the beginning of the end of Marek Hamsik because he's not going to be in a two man midfield. I wouldn't be surprised if we see something totally different. If mm. we see, you know, if we see Milik back in there, if we see. If we see him actually attacking Juve and trusting Koulibaly, that's the thing about Ancelotti. Is and we said this many times, but you know, behind sort of the jovial man manager is also a guy who's really comfortable playing a lot of systems, who's not afraid to uh, to borrow from those who came before him, mm. whether it's Sarri or or at Bayern Pep. And you can debate whether he did it enough in Bayern. I think Juve might also not be looking past them, but you know, having also Europe on the back of their minds and. I don't know. I, I could see I could see Napoli nicking it or, or getting a draw. Well, it's Saturday evening, a game taking place. The, the other big game of the weekend also on Saturday, and it's in Rome as Roma take on Lazio. Roma, who were beaten, as you mentioned, James, by Pippo Inzaghi's Bologna last weekend, now facing Simone Inzaghi's Lazio. Ooh. Yeah. We won't know what Roma have done against Frosinone in the meantime. Mm. But Another um, derby. Another. That's another. true, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, the players have been in sort of uh, retiro since uh, Sunday's game against Bologna. Yeah. So they've Welcome to 1981. Fo- yeah. Followed on the heels of their uh, dismal performance away at uh, the Benabeo. Yeah, when they lost 3-0 and their goalkeeper was still the best player. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Which it's... is the positive note of all that. You know, we, we didn't maybe pick up on that too much, but Olsen, that was his best game yet for Roma. Yeah, and... <sighs> The weekend before against um, Gab's favourite team, Kievo, and Roma were 2-0 up after the first half, they then get pegged back to 2-2. Olsen makes an incredible save, stoppage time, to stop them losing again. Roma haven't won since the opening day against Torino. They won that game because Edin Dzeko scores a Van Basten kind of volley. I mean, the brief from the club is that everyone's at fault here apart from the manager or he's the he's he's third in the list behind the players behind Monchi and then it's Di Francesco and I don't know I mean I don't think there's been too much 
people have focused on the fact that they they signed eleven or twelve new players. Um, there's not continuity with what they achieved last year. The only players who've really started every game of the of the new bunch is Olsen. Pastore did before he got injured, mm. and I think Pastore caused some confusion because he played three different positions, different systems. Doesn't obviously fit in with what Di Francesco wants to do because there's not a kind of ten. It's not a number ten position in that in that four three three that he's kind of quite rigidly stuck to. But I think when you take out the most influential non-Roman players in that team, in Strutman and Nyingalan, I think there is a bit of an issue there. You're putting a lot of faith in two very promising but young guys mm. in Pellegrini and Cristante in midfield, and Roma, as always, they a struggle at home. We saw that last season. They lost six games, and goals still don't come easy for this team. Roma to win then the derby, you think? If they don't, where does that leave Di Francesco, the manager? I think we saw with Garcia, for example, Palotta was quite patient with Garcia. He gave him a chance to turn it around. I think he came out later and said he was maybe a little bit too patient with him. But I think it's still quite early in the season. I don't look around and see any viable alternatives who are better than Di Francesco. That they can afford. I don't think they could get Zidane. I think Conte. Conte's got his issues with Chelsea still, I think, which right. would make that I difficult. Um, exactly. So, you know, I, I think that's complicated. And Monchi's kind of tentatively tied his future to that of Di Francesco, saying that, you know, if he goes, then then I go as well. Um, so, yeah, it's a bit of a... It's a bit of a mess, really. I'm not so down. I, I think these are good players. I think it's a question of finding the right mix. And mm. I think, but it's the difference to how they finished last season is so stark, though, in terms of. But you know, I the think enthusiasm's gone. Yeah, the, the you know, yeah, the, but the enthusiasm comes from what they did against Barcelona, mm. in what was absolutely tremendous, but also one of the dumbest coaching performances. I saw in a long time from Valverde, Valverde yeah. arguably superseded the week after when Roma played Liverpool and yeah. <laughs> played that insane high line. Well, yeah, but, possibly <laughs> when they went to Bernabeu and chose that as a, an occasion to no, blood a player who, who I, never featured in a top level match. Before. Yeah, I have less of a to problem. send a message as well. That was that the other was thing. He's like, yes, Zanioli is a talented player. He deserves his shot. But this is this is a I, message too about players not showing the same application, intensity in training, right? players who really disappoint me are the veterans who were there last year who did quite well. Kolarov, for example, who's so important for that team. He's essentially a playmaker playing as a left-back. You've got Fazio, who hasn't had a good start to the season. Mm. Um, those guys who who were Mr. Reliable last year have, maybe it's because in Kolarov's case, the World Cup and blah, 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 and he's a year older and he's you know, he's not young. And Dzeko, you know, Dzeko's just always whining when I'm on the pitch. You know, I think his body language is pretty terrible sometimes. You know, it's just like, oh, phew. I'd agree with that. I think there's there has been there has been a letdown there, and I think that's more of an issue than than the holdovers. Mm. Um, I don't know what's up with Pellegrini, but he's got to play a lot better. It's also worth noting about Roma is that if it hadn't been for that run last year, I don't think we would have had this massive excitement and even this idea. That, oh, but look, they lost Allison, Nangolan, and and Stroop. And well, you know, Allison, fine. If he doesn't make those saves against Atletico, they go out in the group stage and we don't even have this conversation. And then there's no Barcelona and, and none of that ever happens. But, you know, he's still a goalkeeper. So he offers you kind of money. you got to take it. Nangolan. Bad you know, season last year. Not a good season. You mm. remember all the time about, like, you know, you're saying, like, oh, I should be playing closer to Jekko, further away from Jekko, all that. He almost went to China in January. Yeah. And, oh, he's partying at New Year. <laughs> yeah. And Strootman, while I love Strootman, 
and he's a great guy and super popular. Poor guy's not been Strootman since the injury, and he wasn't Strootman last season either. Mm. I mean, we can go and tie ourselves into knots, but you know, it's not like Strootman carried that team on his yeah. ample back. You know, I mean, fans hate this argument. It's less chance for the club to make decent money off both of them now because they're they're late twenties, early thirties, and I completely see where Gab's coming from on Nyingland because I think Nyingland, it was clear that there was a clash there between. He didn't really seem to fit in in uh, Di Francesco's system. Three is not for him. The other thing I understand they did it. There was an opportunity to sign him, and his talent at that stage justified it. But Schick mm. has been a real letdown. You you you, been... you potentially tie up as much as forty-two million in him. I mean, that looks like a bust. Um, they have to find a way, and I think Di Francesco is trying to find a solution. But that is just not working. Every opportunity he gets, he doesn't take it. Um, they, they do have. I mean, that deal is one of the most complicated <laughs> deals ever put. It's, it's a form of sort of leveraged financing that I think they do have several outs in the sense that if he's just terrible or he gets injured again, they get most of their money back, don't they? Mm. A lot of it's incentive. A lot of it is is incentive based, and him hitting certain targets and being sold for certain amounts. But the fact that Schick hasn't really contributed that's that's an issue. Big game coming up this weekend. Boy, do Roma need a win. Lazio in fine form defeating Genoa 4-1 last weekend. We'll be back next week with Golazzo to discuss what happens in those games and some other stuff besides. For now, many, many thanks to Gabriele Marcotti and James Horncastle. From all of us here, it's Arrivederci. You've been listening to Galazzo, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and make sure you check out our other podcasts this season. The Totally Football League show with Caroline Barker and the Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slaven. <laughs>